Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Well, it's been fun to talk about some other topics as of late. We've discussed investing in comics. We've looked at Poshmark, Depop, and the whole reselling game. And if you haven't heard those gains podcasts, go back and check them out. Very interesting stuff. But let's get back to financial markets. We've seen stocks rally hard off those June lows. So that's going to be the focus today. Back to stocks. I'm Andy Gersher, and this is Gains. So as mentioned, we're going to focus back on the markets today. We're bringing on Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios out of San Diego, California. His website, macrotides.com. Jim, always great to have you on the GAINS podcast. Always uh, good to join you, Andy. I really appreciate you ask good questions. I think we cover uh, good information and also provide listeners uh, information that they can actually use. So yeah. always a pleasure to join you. Yeah, we love that actionable uh, information. And the first actionable piece of information is you're going to want uh, people, if they have any questions, to contact you. So let's give them that piece sure. to start. Well, I'll go one step further. I will send anybody who would like to receive the uh, yesterday's weekly technical review, the August 15th edition. You send me an email to Jim Welsh, W-E-L-S-H, macro, M-A-C-R-O, at gmail.com, and I'll send you the weekly technical review from yesterday, which also covers a lot of fundamental stuff that I think you'll find uh, interesting. All right, we're going to take a look at the market from a technical view in just a minute. But as we kick off the conversation today, Jim, uh, even before we were going on, you were kind of sharing some uh, things about the overall economy and where we're heading, uh, you know, from inflation, the impact of energy and oil prices. We were talking about the tight labor market, some of the data that we're getting, some of the inputs involved in all of this. So let's start today's conversation with you just kind of setting the table and talking about uh, what we're going to see here going forward for, you know, markets and the economy? Yeah, I, I think basically uh, a lot of people have come to believe that the Fed pivoted uh, based on Jay Powell's comments after the last Fed meeting. We get the minutes from those, that meeting uh, tomorrow, Andy, and I think the tone of those minutes are going to be a little bit more hawkish than the takeaway that people 
took uh, when Jay Powell wouldn't, uh, in effect, guarantee that they would do a 75 basis point hike at the September 21st meeting. So tomorrow it'll be interesting to see as those minutes come out, people assess those minutes, whether that will provide a little bit of a, uh, a dampening effect on you know the, the spirits of, that's been driving the market higher. Technically, I'll mention two things. The 200-day average is at 43.25, so the S&P actually touched that during trading uh, on Tuesday. Um, the 618 retracement of the decline from 48.18 in January to the low in June at 36.37 is 43.67. So my take, Andy, is I think the market A is overbought, come a long way very quickly. I think we're coming up to two important technical levels, and I think the messaging from the Fed is going to kind of make people reassess uh, you know, the, the notion that the Fed is going to pivot, is going to raise rates a little bit more, and then be cutting them uh, early next year. I don't think that's exi- the Fed has been telling people that they're, that's not what they're going to do. And yet most investors, because the Fed did so badly last year in terms of talking about transitory inflation, simply don't believe that the Fed is either going to be right or they're going to have the guts uh, to follow through and continue to push rates higher and then keep them at a high level. So I think that's kind of the framework where the markets are at and you know what we're set up for in the next few months. Uh, inflation has been a topic for a long time, something that the Fed got was was wrong about, and you just kind of alluded yeah. to that. We just recently had a pretty solid jobs report. As we're, we're looking at the economy, how are all these things gelling? Uh, you have, yeah. you know, energy prices, inflation. Thing, inflation has come down a bit. As mentioned, the labor market is tight from the latest report that we got. You know, there's a lot of different things at work here. Yep. I'd yep. be interested to get your read on all of it. Well, first of all, I am in the camp that we are not yet in a recession, irrespective of the two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. That's kind of like a thumbnail definition. But the outfit that actually analyzes the National Bureau of Economic Research, they look at about six or seven different things uh, to determine when the economy goes into a recession and when a, you know, a subsequent expansion begins. So if you look at what caused GDP to be negative, the first quarter they subtracted, and this is kind of an accounting measure, 3.2% because of imports. And what that means is demand was so strong that domestic uh, producers didn't fulfill that. Instead, international uh, production fulfilled that. And since they're looking for gross domestic production, they subtract imports. So instead of minus 1.6, it could have been plus 1.6, other than the fact that they subtracted 3.2. Second quarter, they subtracted 2%. For inventories, as we know, Walmart, Target, talked about, and a lot of other retailers, while the, the consumer uh, has shifted their demand from goods to more services, we're caught with a lot of stuff on our shelves. we got to slash and burn and get rid of that. And what that means, though, Andy, is at some point in time in the not-too-distant future, inventory levels will be back down to levels that are comfortable for the major retailers. So that subtraction that took place in the second quarter isn't going to be there uh, in the second or third quarter. So my point is there were some special items 
that caused this, those two declines in GDP. And of course, um, you know, some people will attack me like, oh, yeah, you know, just, you know, apologist for the Biden administration. I have nothing to do with the Biden administration. I'm not trying to apologize. For right. Them. You're just I'm, talking about the, the, the very numbers. small nuances in reading this and yes. and and that. Yes. And when and when the case that you just made made perfect sense. And, yeah, and, and over two million jobs created so far in the first half of this year, uh, incomes. Uh, are continue to grow, and that's the NBER who does the recession calculations. They weight gross domestic income equally with gross domestic product. And in the first quarter, uh, incomes were up 1.8%, and they were up marginally in the second quarter. So again, there's another reason why uh, you know we're just not in a recession. That doesn't mean we're not going into one. I don't want to imply that either. But it just means that we're at a little bit more uh, firm footing in the economy. But that also has implications in terms of the Federal Reserve. The Fed shares that view, by the way, that the economy is not in a recession. Right. And they're going to continue to raise rates. The thing I would emphasize is we've seen a nice decline in commodity prices. The consumer price index came down last week from 9.1 to 8.5. Nice decline. But at this point in time in the business cycle, Andy, the FOMC is going to focus way more on the labor market. And as you noted, we had a good jobs report a week and a half ago. Last week, more importantly, maybe, or yeah, I think it was last week, we got the reading on productivity and unit labor costs. In the second quarter, unit labor costs were up 10.8% and productivity was negative. In fact, the year-over-year drop in productivity, I think, was 2.5%. It's the weakest ever since 1948. So if the Fed's looking at productivity as potentially offsetting some of the inflation we get, you know, we have and likely to get more of, um, you know, they're, they're not getting it from productivity. And I think some of those numbers are a little messed up because of all the gyrations the economy's gone through the last year and a half. But the magnitude of the 10.8% increase in unit labor costs uh, and drop in productivity can't be, I think, penciled away. So my point is, from the Fed's perspective, the labor market continues to be really, really tight. So I, I think what's going to happen here, Andy, is that, yeah, yeah. we're going to see inflation continue to unwind. Right. By the end of this year, the CPI could be down to 6%. But there are some things coming together that suggest that we're going to drop further, but then potentially hold between 3 and 4% for an extended period of time. And labor market tightness is one of those contributing factors. And then energy, real quickly, yeah. uh, how does that play in here? Well, if we look at it, and you know, as I mentioned earlier, oil prices went from three dollars in '73 to twelve and '74 to thirty-nine dollars a barrel in '79, but it elicited a response when OPEC got together to engineer those increases. U.S. drillers increased drilling activity by five hundred percent. So the net result was that by the time you got to the mid '80s. So many wells had been completed, new oil came on the market, so that oil went from $39 and 79 to 10 bucks in the mid-80s. The same thing happened in 2010 to 2014. Oil prices were uh, between 110 and 120, but the advent of fracking in the additional supplies that that brought onto the market subsequently dropped oil from 110 to 120 
down to 40 to $45. In that case, higher prices were the cure of yes. higher prices because that motivated players in the space to get yep. more, to drill more, to acquire yep. more oil, which Broad then eventually down. lowered the prices. Yep. Uh, yep. Yep. Got a different dynamic now. It's a, a whole different. different story this time. The, the two uh, previous examples, when you've seen oil go up in price, the free market has taken control, jumped in, and you know producers produce more, and that brought down oil. Yep. Yep. This is a different situation. Explain that. Explain why it's different this time. Well, not just here, but globally. The amount of investment in fossil fuels has been declining for a decade. And we all know the reasons why. I mean, governments around the world want to shift to less dependence on fossil fuels and more on renewables. Uh, so the companies that are in the past that have been making oil companies, making investments, you know, they're not stupid. They see the tea leaves. And so instead of using increased cash flow uh, over the last year or so to drill more oils, wells, uh, even if they could in some places, um, instead they've been buying back stock and paying out money to uh, shareholders in the form of higher dividends. So because of, you know, the, the United States attitude and Europe's attitude toward fossil fuels, we're just not going to see a resurgence in uh, natural gas production and oil production over the next five to 10 years. That implies that we're going to see energy prices stay at a higher level than they would have otherwise had we seen a bigger increase in drilling and exploration over the last decade and even now today. So you think if the United States is kind of following Europe along with this, Europe pays like three or four times for energy what we have here. Will that eventually uh, drip over to us here domestically, too, with this kind of long-standing being put in place. Market. Now, obviously, there's a crunch time coming over the next six months with Germany and Russia and the gas flowing out of Russia into Germany and the rest of the, uh, Europe. Um, but, yeah, longer term, it just means we're at a higher level. To put it in perspective, natural gas prices are about $9 um, in the U.S. In Europe, it's 50 So that much, that's how much more they're paying for natural gas. Five, nearly five times. Five yes, times a over five times, and so, and that's and they're going to have to heat. They're going to have to heat their houses, and they use natural gas for a lot of things, especially in Germany. Yeah, um, now, that's that's going to be a, a toll. Yeah, the irony here, folks, obviously, is that in Germany, uh, they really decided to push green alternatives. So they shut down. They went from seventeen nuclear power plants to three. Uh, they banned fracking uh, and increased their dependence on Russia for both oil and natural gas. Now, what is unfortunately has created an environment, Andy, that they're using more coal to provide electricity um, because they just simply need the energy, obviously, to heat homes and cool homes at this point in time. Um, and th there's been a huge spike in, in Germany, people looking for firewood. Because they're, they're looking, they're desperate. They want to be able to heat their homes and living spaces one way or the other. So the point is that, the, you know, we have to move toward renewables um, over time and bring emissions down. To me, there shouldn't be a debate on that. It really comes down to how can we intelligently navigate the transition from where we are today to where we want to be 20 to 30 years from now 
And as you know, I've advocated nuclear power because that is the cleanest uh, form of energy that we have. Uh, the technology has improved tremendously from 50, 60 years ago, so safety really shouldn't be an issue and a concern. Um, and we need to increase natural gas supplies so that we have a constant, stable uh, supply of electricity so that people can go home at night and recharge the battery for their uh, electric vehicle. Uh, right now, we don't really have that energy, and I think that's going to be problematic in the next five or ten years. Now, none of this is going to happen. The current administration uh, is just dead sent against doing anything that increases uh, the slightest increase in fossil fuels. So, you know, one of the strategies is, is just make sure you can't build a pipeline. If there isn't a pipeline to carry natural gas from the Appalachian Mountains to the northeast, which heats his homes uh, with heating oil predominantly, 90% of the heating oil demand comes from uh, people heating their homes in the northeast. Obviously, that's far more, <laughs> generates more emissions than natural gas would. But we've got, you know, kind of like, nope, we're not going to do anything. We're dead set on going this way. And I just think that's problematic. And, and, and long, yeah, long term, this could really be an issue. Okay, we got to take a break real quick. Hey, be sure to subscribe, follow, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if that's an option for you. And as always, subscribe and turn on those notifications so you know when a new Gaines episode drops. We drop Gaines episodes on Wednesday morning. We'll continue the discussion with Jim Welsh right after the break. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All right, we're back with Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios in San Diego. His website, of course, macrotides.com. So, Jim, we covered a lot of ground before we went to break, talking about the tight labor market, inflation, energy. Now let's turn our attention to stocks and financial markets and get a technical view of uh, where things are headed. Okay. Well, first of all, I have a, a momentum indicator that is I use to quantify whether we're in a bull market or bear market or somewhere in between. And so it gave a bear market signal earlier uh, this year in April. Um, on July 19th, it gave a bear market rally uh, buy signal when the S&P was at, uh, I think, 39.37 was the close of that particular day. So what has to happen here is that has to continue to improve and then get up to a certain level to kind of say, okay, we're now in a new brand new bull market. So to me, the jury is out. Uh, I'm not, I'm on either side. Basically the market to me at this point in time, Andy has to prove itself. I thought the drop in the CPI was going to elicit a positive response by the markets. And as we noted earlier, the 200-day average is at 43.25. The 618 is at 43.67. Those are two important levels. The other thing I would mention, if you stand back and look at the chart, and I know this is tough when you're listening in a podcast and can't actually see a picture, so maybe what you need to do is, you know, uh, when you listen to this, folks, uh, 
uh, look up a chart on the S&P 500. I think it would be very helpful. So you might have to listen to this podcast more than once. Anyway, from the low in June, the S&P rallied up to about 39.46. It then pulled back to 37.22, and it has subsequently rallied to the price levels where we are at today. From a price pattern standpoint, so far it's one up, two down, and this nonstop stair-stepping rally up to where we are today. That's three waves up. Um, somewhere there should be a wave four pullback. The wave two pullback went from 39.46 to 37.22, so a little bit over 220 S&P points. So the point being, Andy, we're coming to a level that I think even if we're in a brand-new bull market and we're going higher, we're at the doorstep of a 200-point roughly pullback, 150 to 200 point pullback in the S&P, and then we'll see another rally for wave five off the June low. So that's the optimistic bullish scenario. The less bullish scenario is you've got three waves up, and it means that potentially we're in a larger bear market rally. And three waves up should be followed by three waves down, down towards, I'd say, anywhere from 3,900 to 4,100 um, on that pullback, and then a move up towards 4,600 to 4,500. And last but not least, the only other pattern is three waves up. Once this rally is over in the next handful of days, that's it for the bear market rally, and we're going to new lows. I'm not in that camp. I don't think that's very likely. But from a chart analysis standpoint, to me, these are the three options. So from a risk management standpoint, the bullish thing is, okay, we're going to have a 150 to 200-point decline in the S&P, then a rally to higher highs, and then a significant pullback. So the point being to me, Andy, is we're at a place where I would not be buying because after we have a down and up and we're going to have a bigger down that's going to take us to a level below where we are today. So to me, the message is do not be adding at this stage of the game. If you have some nice gains, you might want to trim a little bit at this point in time, and the market will tell us. If it does a pullback of 150 to 200 points and then rallies to a higher high, we'll have five up. That will convince me that the bear market is over. We will then see a bigger wave two pullback that may retrace a half of whatever this rally from the June low turns out to be. But then we're going to new all-time highs. So there's no way of knowing at this point in time for me other than to say we're at a price level that I think out of the three options, over the next one to three, four months, we're going to be lower than this price level at some point in time. Not a good place to be adding positions. I would be inclined to take some money off, and let's just see how this plays out. So kind of a wait-and-see approach here. The one thing I wanted to ask you about, we had popped off those lows that were put in place um, a couple of months, yeah, mid-June. Yeah. And I've, I've mentioned this on this podcast with a number of guests. It really didn't feel like a washout there. And uh, I wanted to get your take as far usually you have a more yeah. aggressive washout. Yeah, um, yeah. You, you had buyers immediately come in at those lows. And, right. and then we've pushed the market higher here. It sure didn't feel like a bottom. Yeah. And that's the yeah. part of me that uh, kind of keeps me still in, in the bearish camp a bit. Well, I think uh, you're right. There wasn't the traditional washout where the VIX got over 40. 
and some of these other measures, but sentiment got very compressed in all the sentiment surveys. Positioning, maybe more importantly, Andy, in terms of positioning in the futures, uh, short positions uh, in the market became pretty excessive. Remember the consumer confidence number came but out. Did you have a lot of people? Did you had a lot? Did you have a lot of investors just completely throwing in the towel though? No, no. If you look at the money flows into ETFs uh, and mutual funds, it's remained pretty healthy. In other words, you didn't get that fear factor. And again, I think part of it is. We've gone for a very long time where people were taught buying the dip is the best strategy of all. And I, I just think that that has become muscle memory and ingrained. Think about the last week or so. We got a good CPI report. Is that positive? Absolutely. But look at what's happening with some of the meme stocks. The AMC, GME, Bed Bath & Beyond. Yep. Bed Bath & Beyond up 60 70% nearly today. Uh, right. I, I have to take a note of that activity, and it, it kind of tells you – the, uh, also, the type of investor that's back, yeah, it, it's very interesting. It, it's funny how to get a gauge on the uh, stock market now, looking at how the memes are performing and some of those super high growth names is an indicator in itself. Yeah, I think so. It's a, you know the fringe element sentiment, and and so you know you're right in terms of some of the more traditional aspects of an important low uh, didn't materialize in mid June. Um, and again, this is predicated on, oh, inflation topped. And again, as I've said, inflation peaking at 9% is very different than inflation peaking at 4%. Um, and this labor market tightness is a key ingredient that I think just about everybody's ignoring. I think the Fed's going to pay more attention to that than commodity prices, the drop in the CPI, because uh, wages represent over 60% of the cost of goods sold. So unless we see wages really start to moderate um, and labor market tightness is obviously a direct um, function of that happening, um, the Fed's going to maintain a bias toward raising rates and or keeping them at a higher level for longer. Some of the things that we talked about in terms of oil prices, grain prices, uh, you know, there's one other aspect we won't go into it, but globalization really helped keep prices down. Well, that's in retreat as well. So there's some of these really big factors, Andy, that I think have the potential of, yep, we get inflation down, but it doesn't get down enough. And that the Fed is then in a, you know, a tougher spot at a minimum. They keep the funds rate up around three and a half percent for a lot longer so that we do see more meaningful slowing in the economy. That and wouldn't time, that make so. a case that, uh, like, there's nothing wrong with keeping, once you get these uh, interest rates right. up to a higher level, maybe keeping them here for a right. while. They've been artificially held at near zero for a, a really, really long time, and that, that contributes to some issues as well. You're 100% right. If you look at the real funds rate as it stands today, the funds rate is at, uh, call it two and a quarter. Uh, inflation is at eight and a half percent. So the funds raised negative by what, five and a half, six percent? I mean, so, uh, you know, fairly significant. So to, to say that policy has been tightened um, is a little bit of an exaggeration, especially after the rally we've seen in stocks, the decline in Treasury yields, spreads between corporates and Treasuries have narrowed. The dollar has come down a little bit. So financial conditions tightened a lot into June. They've eased a fair amount 
because of the rallies and everything that's taken place in the markets. So oil price, gasoline price is going from $5 a, a gallon to 4 That's beneficial for consumer spending. You know, it will help people deal with higher prices and maintain spending at a higher level than it would have had oil and gasoline prices stayed at $5 a gallon. But there are so, a lot of fundamentals that say that uh, those uh, uh, oil and gas prices aren't going to get much cheaper. And it looks like it, from talking to you earlier, it sounds yeah. like the setup's in place for them to continue to slowly move higher over time. And I think the mid-80s on oil is likely to be an area of important support. And the thing we have to keep in mind is the government is going to stop releasing one million barrels a day from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve in October. In December, uh, more difficult and stringent um, sanctions go into place in Europe in terms of access to Russian oil and so forth. So there is the potential that we could see as we get towards the end of this year and into next year energy prices ramping higher. Uh, Weather may play a little bit of the role. Obviously, if they have a much warmer than normal winter in Europe, that will help them. Uh, A normal weather environment, I think, will make it tough. And obviously, if it turns out to be colder, it's going to be really, really hard. So my point is there's – I'm not trying to marry one scenario or the other. I'm trying to keep my head on a swivel and not just read a headline and come to a conclusion. And I think the majority of professional investors, and I'm talking to people on Wall Street, are really good at seeing a headline and drawing a conclusion. As I said, there's always a bull market on Wall Street in herd mentality. As we're wrapping up the gains uh, conversation today, what's your play? What's the advice for the individual investor? Um, I like gold. I was been recommending it over the last two to three weeks when gold was trading near 1700. I think a rally to 1850 to 1870 is very, very likely. So to me, that is a good short-term trade that I think will evolve over the next uh, four to six weeks. All right. We'll be sure to keep an eye on gold as well as the markets. And we'll have you back on again real soon, Jim. All right, big thanks to Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios in San Diego and his website, macrotides.com. Hey, be sure to subscribe, follow, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I've been told that's podcast gold. We totally appreciate the solid there. And as always, subscribe and turn on those notifications so you know when a new games episode drops. We are back next Wednesday, and I look forward to seeing you then. A News Radio WBBM podcast, powered by Odyssey. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. T-Mobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. 
Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, oh, oh. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.